A stu stu Studio D production. The right mics. I got the right mics on. Yep. When John Henry was a little baby. Baby. Sitting on his daddy's knee. His daddy picked him up and threw him on the floor and said, This baby's gone wet on me. Thank you, Smothers Brothers. All credit to Smothers Brothers. Yes. <laughs> My old man's a cotton picking finger looking chicken plucker. What do you think about that? He wears a cotton picking finger like a chicken bucker collar. He wears a cotton picking finger like a chicken bucker's hat. He wears a cotton picking finger like a chicken bucker's shoes. Raincoat. Oh, I thought shoes. Raincoat. Shoes. I don't know. And every Saturday evening, he reads the cotton picking news. Timeline straight. Yeah, go wherever you want. Go wherever. Sit down. I want to tell you a story. A really weird and messed up story. It's after family story time. Hi, everybody. I'd like to welcome you to a very special sisters cast of Effed Up Family Story Time. I'm Jess. And I'm Kelly. And today with us, we have Salem. Yay! That's me. <laughs> Nobody ever does that. <laughs> that's cool. And on our sisters cast today, Salem will be telling our story. So how's everybody doing? Good, good, good. Yeah, Jess and I had to do a takeover of a sister cast. I like it. This is our new... Was that what new, you wanted, Kelly? Yeah, yeah. It was really good. <laughs> it was good better job. than I wanted, actually. I was just going to say, <laughs> welcome to sister's cast! And, like, totally, like, take over and not... That was better. <laughs> I liked it. That's good. I'm glad that we haven't done just sisters for a while. Yeah, I can't even remember another time it was just sisters. No, I think the last time the both the girls weren't here, Evie was on with yeah, us. Yeah, we had the oh. aunts and... Yeah. yeah. But I don't know do if we've ever had just sisters. We need well, to do it more often. You know what? Let's Kick do it for the next episode, too. Hey, we, I two think we should. Yeah. Kick those brats I mean, off. Do you think they'll get tired of it? No. Nobody ever gets tired of us. We'll have <laughs> Never. To, we'll have to come up with another snazzy intro, though, for yeah. the second. No, I think we just go back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> There's only so much snazz I can handle, Jess. <laughs> Really? Because you're usually way higher on the snazz. I know. That's why level. I can't handle very much from other people because I'm so snazzy myself. You take up all the snazz I'm in the room. I'm exuding snazz. <laughs> is, is snazz even a word? Like you can be no snazzy. It's kind of like underwhelming or overwhelming. You but can't be no whelming. Yeah. It just makes me, me it think of snozberries. Snozberries. I thought the like same thing. I, I want to make the snozberry wine. That's what I'm going to call my gooseberry wine, a schnozberry wine. Oh, that's fun. I like it. And if I know? could draw, I would draw a label for this one, too. This label, I have ideas for all my labels, but I can't draw for shit. So when I try to draw them, they look very, like, two-dimensional. <laughs> like a little kid drew them. And I'm like, I don't know. That's going to work. Cute. But this one is, I want a gooseberry that has the wings and the feet and the head and the tail of a goose flying through yeah. the sky. <laughs> You know what you could do? I'll awkwardly describe ah. this to an AI art generator. Oh, I bet I could. Actually, you. though, I might be able to convince a friend to do me a favor and draw some labels for you. I might have to look into that. I have drawn Pay some people for their art, <clears throat> Jess. Well, you've seen the labels I've drawn so far. It's a favor because we're friends. <laughs> I would pay him. But you've seen the labels that I've drawn so far, right? I think they're cute, yeah. 
with the and they look like a little kid drew them, yeah but because, um, but it's partially because of like the coloring of it it's not like the drawings are bad but it's just like it's stylized to look like it's hand colored because mm-hmm. it was well i think that we should, should have start a story, story because i know i said i didn't want to talk about this on the podcast anymore because we always say this but i already have to pee. <laughs> and i'm a little concerned so, about making it to our break I mean, so like, I just think we should start right. our story. I'm excited to hear what it's right. about. I hear Action. it's really dark. Right. So let's get no, to it. No, it's a sad story. I oh, cried sad, I sad. cried a lot this oh. morning. So we are going to talk about the murder of Timothy Coggins. Is that familiar to you guys at Sounds all? Sounds familiar, but I can't place it. I wouldn't be surprised if you've heard about it. It's gotten a lot of press recently. But we're going to start back when the murder occurred, which was back in 1983. So Timothy Coggins, he was a young black man. I'm not exactly sure how old he was, young 20s um, at the time of the murder. And he, you know, give a little insight into Timothy. He was a fun character. He was smart, but he also would sometimes run around with drug dealers and do some drug deals and stuff. But this is in Georgia. This is 1983 Georgia in Spalding County. And um, he lived, I don't know if he lived in the town of Griffin, but he lived right near the town of Griffin. And this wasn't, you know, this is 1983, Georgia. So you first of all have to think of the racism. Yeah. Yeah. And this isn't, it's in one of the documentaries that I watched, one of the officers, one of the police, the deputies says, this isn't Atlanta, you know, as Mm. he's talking about just living there like you know you could do the the racism in the town and stuff you could do certain things in atlanta that you couldn't do in spalding county mm-hmm. that helps place it because you mm-hmm. know atlanta actually does have a really high population of people of color um but it's in the middle of the south and there's still a lot of issues there and then when you get mm-hmm. outside of that centralized mm-hmm. urban area and you get more rural mm-hmm. it's just a very different vibe for people yeah. down mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. and i mean i don't know about it and even more so in the 80s yeah, even yeah. more so in the 80s for sure. And I'm sure it still is is, it, is that racially contentious down there now. You is know? it a small town? You may have said this. It is a small it. town, yes. There's a lot of open area around this town. Okay. And there there is an active uh, Ku Klux Klan sure. um, group, chapter, whatever, yeah. in the area. Because some small towns even today, like... If you're black, you don't go there. Yeah. Like So that's why I was just wondering, just trying to get the mindset of how he felt and where he was. Oh, absolutely. And in this town, from the way I understand it was set up, like the center of town was mainly white people, was all white people. And then as you got towards okay. the outskirts of town, that's where all the black people live. But it was definitely segregated still. Like, obviously, it couldn't be legally segregated but it was one of like it's in the south it's in georgia it's one of those towns that was one of the last to not be legally segregated you know so So, a lot of that mentality was still there a a horrible horrible yeah horrible time so (laughs) timothy though he was a um he was a fun loving young man he liked to go out he would often go to this club called the people's choice and it was a club that was for black people essentially and it was um, their choice. And it was, I don't know if they had a choice, <laughs> but that's the one they chose. Sorry. Um, I'm like, that's just a very um, people's conceited choice. name for a club. This is the people's the choice. The people's choice. Or maybe it's not. Maybe it's more just like it was the people's choice. You know, and I, I don't know. I don't know either. But Who I knows? like to judge people. So on October 9th, 1983, some hunters in the area found a body. Mm. They found a body underneath a tree 
this kind of like secluded area, definitely a secluded area, this isolated tree that was known in the town as the hanging tree. Because as history goes back, it was a place that they had taken black people and lynched them Mm -hmm. or done other horrible things to them. But they found this body. They immediately called the police and they came out. And what they found was a young black man. He was partially clothed. He was shirtless and his pants were pulled down to his knees. He was stabbed multiple times. All over his torso. Um, When they started to investigate the area, they noticed some tire tracks that kind of went in like a large square in the area right next to where the body was found. He was found under the hanging tree or kind of like next to under the hanging tree. And in these tire tracks, in one of the tire tracks, they discovered a sweater that was bloodied and had been turned inside out. And as they examined more, they found more blood in the tire tracks. And their conclusion was that that a body had been drugged before it had been abandoned. So they took the body to the coroners. They did an autopsy. And what they found was um, that he had been stabbed several times, um, seven times in the back. And it was like... Try to describe this so the listeners can understand. So he was stabbed two times next to each other in the top of his torso. And then below that, he was stabbed three times in a row. So kind of like when you're stacking cookies on a cookie sheet. Mm -hmm. And then below that, there were two more stab wounds. And then there was an X carved into his back, like kind of connecting the dots and from one of the documentaries that i watched they said this is a sign of the confederate flag oh so he was also beaten severely beaten in the head severely he had defensive wounds on his arms so he'd obviously fought when they were trying to stab him and i don't know if the stab wounds on his back were before i think he was still alive when they left him there but i think he was stabbed other places on his torso. And then they did that in the end, kind of like a message. So they were leaving a message. Yeah. So when the body was found, they thought the police department thought the best thing to do to get, to be able to identify him, there was no identification on him or anything. Um, They got an officer. His name was Oscar Jordan. And uh, he was just like a patrol officer Worked for the Griffin Police Department in the town of Griffin. Okay. I'm not sure if Timothy lived in the town of Griffin, but that's the area around where he lived. Um, And that's where the body was found. So the reason they got him to come down and identify the body was because he was a black officer. And he was primarily used as like to work in the black community. So they thought maybe he would have seen this boy and would be able to recognize him because they all know each other i i guess or but because, uh, but you're, you're grasping his straws so okay fine. well and i think he was kind of used as the like as the go-between to talk to this community you know okay. because white police officers didn't want to mm-hmm. go into the black community okay. and they probably weren't as welcome in the black community and things like that you know so he worked the area so there's a chance he might recognize mm-hmm. him i mean i get that cops do that all the time but this one is specifically Gross it just seemed kind of gross. Yeah. You're black, so you must know this other black guy. And well, and they needed him to go because he couldn't. He didn't recognize him. Also, you have to realize Timothy was so badly beaten. Oh yeah, that he was hard to recognize. So if Officer Jordan had seen Timothy around, he may not 
recognize him after the beating so he took his photograph he went door to door in the neighborhood in the black community in the neighborhood trying to see if anybody recognized him and he eventually got to the door of talisa coggins which was timothy's sister and at first she didn't recognize him but then she saw the tattoo on his hand and she knew that it was him. Oh, that has to be such a horrifying experience. Ugh. And so at this point, he had been missing for like two days and nobody was really concerned because he was kind of a he was kind of one of those guys that would disappear for a couple of days, hang out with friends, couch hop, whatever, do things. So like him being gone, he's in his early 20s, him being gone for a couple of days. They didn't really think anything of it. But. Um, she recounted the last time that she had seen him She to the police officer. She said that they had gone down to the People's Choice, the club that we had talked about, mm-hmm. and um, it was on Friday night. And uh, I'm not sure. I heard her. She just says in her interview that they went down there together. But there's one man. His name is Jared. I think his name was Jesse Gates. It's Jay Gates. Jay Gates. <laughs> Um, said that he had seen him walk into the club and he picked him up and he gave him a ride. But like there's multiple people who say he went to the club. They know he was at the club. People saw him at the club. He was talking to people, his sister and Mr. Gates, about how he's been seeing this white girl. This white girl named Ruth. Ruth Guy mm-hmm. goes by Mickey. Mickey Guy. And Jesse Gates remembers specifically telling him like, don't go messing around with white girls. You're going to get yourself in trouble. And this is the guy that was like, this isn't Atlanta. Okay. Like, you are in Griffin. You can't be doing that yeah. shit around here, basically. But he didn't seem concerned about it. So they go to the club. And his sister, Talisa, says that, you know, they hung out. He was dancing. He was dancing with a white girl at the club. That they were hanging out. She was worried about it, too. But she just didn't say anything. She went to the bathroom. She overheard some people saying that there were two white guys looking for wanting to talk to Timothy. And so when she came out of the bathroom, she looked for Timothy. She saw him walking out of the club with a white guy. By the time she got out the door, they were gone. And that's the last time she ever saw Timothy. So the police start to do an investigation, if that's what you want to call it. Oh, is this (laughs) going to be one of those damn stories? I mean, 1980s, Georgia, Uh death of a black man, of course, is going to be one of those damn stories. It sounds like they only even have one black police officer because it sounds like they went and got the black police officer to see if. Yeah, I think they had a couple of black police officers. Um, Gates worked with the department also, but he was like a desk guy. He was an actual officer, but he tried to be involved in the investigation too, because he knew Timothy and he was a witness to dropping him off. And he did say when he dropped him off, there were two guys like white guys hanging out around the club, which he thought was weird because it's a black club. Like that's not like they're not allowed to be there, but you don't usually see white people in that area. It's almost like the white people went there to with the girl as bait to lure some black guy Maybe. out. Maybe, but he's been telling, Timothy had been telling people that he was sleeping with this girl, that they, so they were dating. going there looking for him too. But, Maybe, but yeah. well, okay. if they knew he was dating this white girl, because there was definitely this attitude of like, you don't soil our women. Oh yeah. You know? And I could, I mean, this is the time and an area of the country where 
they didn't even have to know and I don't know what else we'll find out but like they didn't even have to know this white girl to be to right. be pissed off about him dating her it's just right. a black guy dating a white girl and that's not okay and we're gonna yeah. show you you don't touch our women and exactly just be more of a man so women want to date you instead of worrying about <laughs> what shit, other right no are. shit but like find a so way to be women attractive. of any color want to date you instead of being at the same time these white guys would go and hook up with black women and they didn't well, see any problem with that they probably were very um and i mean probably that's an assumption but like i don't think demeaning to them like they probably viewed it in a very i'm sure different way of just like i'm using you right. to get what i want and i'm sure they weren't like blatantly brazenly doing it because it still yeah. would have been but it was kind of like i yeah it was a power thing it's different when i go and use your women than when mm-hmm. you come and soil our women i'm i can just imagine that's exactly what's so in their gross. heads yeah I it's hate, horrible fucking hate people sometimes i gotta tell you often often i hate people so the police they investigate their investigation started with like questioning the people at the club who all all agreed that they saw timothy they said they saw timothy and talisa leave with these, these white guys well she followed them out but she didn't leave with them because they were already gone by the time she got out there, but they all corroborated it. Nobody named the white guys, but I don't think that that's necessarily unusual because black people wouldn't necessarily know who white people are. White people aren't going to know who black people yeah, are. If they're random white people in a black club, they're yeah. not going to know them. There was a rumor that was going around that this was like a drug deal that supposedly Timothy had taken $600 from a couple of guys to get some drugs, never actually got the drugs never paid the guys back and that he was concerned about the fact that he owed these guys money. So that has always been like an underlying like possible motive for this. But I think that people now more are just leading to the fact that it was because he was dating a white girl, but he was, he was immoral is how they probably saw it doing that. Yeah. So as the, as the investigation was going on, the family started getting threats so the stepdad he got a call where a person told him that more people will be murdered if you don't stop digging into this and then while the family was sitting and watching tv one night a brick was thrown through through their window with a note on it that said you're next Yuck. And the last thing that happened um that I found I'm sure there was other things that like minor things that probably happened that may unnerve them ways that people treated them or looked at them you know what i mean like uh, being afraid to go into town and shit but a a decapitated black dog was left on their front step so there were people obviously trying to scare them yeah harassing them i mean that just adds another another level to your depravity you decapitated a fucking dog yeah that's horrifying so officer oscar jordan who was the one who had been called down to identify the body, the one that that talked to Talisa and got the investigation going. They had kept him on the investigation, even though he's a patrol officer. They had no black detectives on their... Of course their, they didn't, because they're 1983. They're yeah. not worthy to rise to the rank of detectives. So they thought it was a good idea to keep him on I, the... Saying that's what they thought, not me. Just yes, yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Clarity. Of, of, yeah. I think everyone knows our stance on this right now, so. but for clarity. But they um, decided to keep him on the case... Because I think they probably thought that it was good for him as a liaison between the communities. So after a couple of months looking into this, he had found the rumors of the drug, possible drug deal gone bad. Um, He also got a tip 
to investigate a trailer park called Carrie's Trailer Park. And this trailer park was actually pretty close to the area of where the body was found. Kind of like, you know, he had thought this is a good locate, like somebody who lives in this trailer park is going to know about this place Mm -hmm. where somebody who doesn't may not necessarily know where this place is. So he goes to the trailer park and he speaks to the owner or manager, whatever, Sandra Bunn. He speaks to Sandra Bunn at the trailer park. And she says that on the night of the murder, she saw Frankie Gebhardt, Bill Moore, Mickey Guy, Mm -hmm. and Timothy Coggins all outside. And they all get into a truck together and they all drive away. Okay, so we know who Timothy Coggins, obviously, and Mickey Guy was the white girl that he mm-hmm. was seeing. And you haven't said these other two names yet. Yeah, and she's also the girlfriend of Frankie Gebhardt. Oh, shit. Bill Moore is Frankie Gebhardt's brother-in-law. He's married to... Frank. Bill is married to Frankie's sister. Okay. I guess. And so they know each other and they're known to be guys that cause trouble, get in trouble, in and out of jail kind of guys, drinking, partying, always getting in fights and stuff. Not the best characters. Which doesn't mean they're murderers. No, it doesn't. But that's the type of But it it doesn't. Yeah, but that's the kind of people that they are. It doesn't mean they're murderers. No. Um, There's other things that might mean they're Mm -hmm. murderers, but... Oh, yeah. I fully expect (laughs) you to tell me why they're murderers. I'm just laying that that start so officer jordan takes this information back to the sheriff's department and um or to the police department and says look this is uh this is what i found i think we need to investigate this more we need to look into these guys right and once he gives them this information they pull him off the case Mm -hmm. and he's basically told that you know, we've kind of reached a dead end in this case. And so, um, I, you know, it's going cold. I think that we there's on- really not much more to find. We only have an eyewitness to place the victim with certain people the night of exactly. his death. Exactly. That's, That's a dead, dead end. end. Dead end. And, you know, Officer Jordan, he's like, the case is just getting hot. Yeah. That's how he described it in one of the documentaries. He's like, it was just getting hot. Why... Like, as soon as they got close to something, they shut it down. As soon as they got close to a white kid or a white guy. Mm -hmm. I bet if he'd showed up with some black guy or something, they would have just gone out. No questions asked. Kept digging. Or they probably would have just arrested him and said, that's the tip. That's true. They probably would have just been like, oh, we solved it. One person said it was him. Yes, we solved it. Yeah, <laughs> that was really at home. Listeners couldn't see Salem patting herself on the back in this really awkward and like, like dancing twerking kind of. of- just imagine it. <laughs> oh God, don't imagine it. <laughs> <Anyway>. It's awful. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> so um, after they pulled Jordan off the case, they insi- they assigned a new investigator to it, which is just fucking weird too. They put they put Jordan back on his patrol route. And signed a new investigator. That investigator did go in and, and interview Frankie Gebhardt. Okay. And Frankie said that he had an alibi. He was with his girlfriend, Mickey, all night. Who was with Tim Coggins. Apparently, that was a good enough alibi. Did they then go talk to his girlfriend, Mickey? <gasps> no. They didn't confirm his alibi? No. I mean, and... And, and they didn't talk to Bill either. Ugh. And they closed did, the case. Did the oh new investigator talk to Sandra Bunn? 
No. So he didn't follow Not up anymore, with her. no. Oh, such good detective work there. Isn't it, though? And actually, they I don't think they would have tried to talk to Mickey, but just a few weeks after Timothy died, she left town. So uh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Suspicious. Yep. So that's where I'm ready to take a break. That's where we will take our break. Because the case is closed. So obviously yeah, it were, wasn't those white the case, guys. They didn't close the case. Oh, because okay. I'm sorry. I, I did say that. The case goes cold. Right? Yeah, that makes they sense. Stop, okay. They stop investigating. It, they don't care. They it don't becomes, care. It goes in the cold case files. Yeah. And then these cold cases are reviewed every six months in Georgia. The GBI will mm-hmm. randomly assign a new investigator yeah. on cold cases just to get a new set of eyes on it. And that's where it sat. They, they become inactive. I learned this with my case because mm-hmm. since the chances were so slim that we'd ever find the guy, I had the choice where we could make it inactive or they could keep investigating. But it's not closed because if anything ever comes up... It could be reopened. So my guess would be they made it inactive pending further evidence or something. Well, like that. they have a system in Georgia. They do now. Yes, I know. But I'm just saying back in 1983. No, they had a system back then, too. I don't oh. know how long it's been going. But it sounds like it's been for a long time where they just wrote. But it. But so this case, we'll, we'll get into this after the break. But this case passes multiple people's desks over the course of decades where they do shit all about it. So just because it's rotated every six months to a new investigator's desk doesn't mean that they fucking look at it. Yeah, that sounds like a great system. If you have the right investigators. That's the problem. You have to put the right people. Not everybody is wired to do cold cases either because it's different because you are going off of somebody else's investigation as your basis of information when you start right you're going off of all their case files you're not learning these things as they happen so it's a different bias bias in the investigation and bias in the notes and all of that stays bias in the investigation and if you don't have the right mindset for it like it's a different idea to dig into something like this that was already invested and they couldn't figure anything out as opposed to go find clues for a new murder that just happened. You know, it's just a different way of thinking. I think one thing that is glaringly obvious with this case as a cold case file, if it came across anybody's desk, I don't think that you have to be great at your job to recognize that there wasn't an investigation done. Yeah, that's well, true. That's, that's the true. thing that gets me. Well, it's like it's not, not even just looking at somebody else's investigation and not seeing the shit that they didn't see. It's the fact that there wasn't even anything done. And that's not what I'm saying about this one. I'm just yeah. saying in general, it's a different mindset. I'm not saying that these guys didn't solve it all those years because they weren't the right people. Oh, no, too. I know. I'm, I'm just, just saying I'm in just general. Saying like, the, num- the number of deaths that had to have gone across oh, that yeah. people just well, looked at and was like, oh, I guess I can't do anything about this. There are so many cold cases cases that are like that that aren't necessarily even them not wanting to do it but they're just not the right person for it and then it finally gets to somebody who understands how to yeah figure it out you yeah know? and you i just wonder about like what the case file looked like too i just really totally. think like based on the original investigation what exactly are you looking at when it comes across your desk it sounds like a great totally. system but then like you have a whole bunch of these maybe or maybe you have your own cases you're you working have on a and stack you're of them, yeah. assigned or maybe this is what oh, yeah. you do all the time and you're just trying to see anything and in that case file maybe it was written in a way that was like you know, rock hard alibi and this is, you know, and blah, blah, blah in a way to make you just be like, no, done. I can't find anything else from a lot of the things I've read and watched and stuff. Unless, 
unless you have a cold case unit where that's all they're working on is cold cases, it does. It gets assigned to um, a detective that has current cases, which always get they get told those are priorities. So, you know, the cold case may be with them, but it doesn't mean they're working it. No, they may not even have time to do more than look at it, honestly. Yeah, and yeah. I, I don't see anything in this. I don't know what I can do about this. It's going back to the stack for another six months. So I just like it's a lot of speculation and a lot of wondering where exactly their heads were. It seems unreal that this would, like you said, cross so many desks. Well, over it the seems years, unreal that it would have even gone cold. That it would have, have. That's what's really the, you the have crime two here. Key that's witnesses, what's really awful. Two key witnesses that were never fucking interviewed. One that was only briefly interviewed, and nobody else in the trailer park was ever questioned. Nothing yeah, I mean, else that's where, was ever where the done. blame. I think at this point in time in the story, from what right. we know so far, that's where the blame needs to lie was in that initial investigation, or not the investigation with the original police officer, but when it was stopped, the department when the department put the kibosh on it, it was horrifying, and mm-hmm. that set yes. then in motion the like that 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 ended the investigation to a point where anyone who reviews it in the future doesn't have the information they need, doesn't have the statement from all of the witnesses. And some police officers, I think it's getting better, but it's not all gone. Some police officers have a diehard belief that other officers were, are good and did everything they could. So some of those, when they have that mentality, they don't look at a cold case like what might they have done wrong. It's just like everything even here must be gospel. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a really interesting thing to think about, just that mentality. Like, of course, all you know, we want to assume all officers are good and trying their best. And so I'm not trying to say that you should go into it with the alternate mindset. But there is this like brotherhood vibe mm-hmm. that causes people to just be like, I'm not questioning a single thing. Another man of the, yeah. the blue or whatever right. you call them. I was thinking man of the cloth, but that's, really, <laughs> that's, that's a little like, different. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I'm not going to question a single thing they did in their investigation because yeah. that's my brother. Right. If, yeah. If yeah. they said we didn't need to interview this person, then that must know. be right. Yeah. If he said he had a rock hard alibi and he believed him, then he must be. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not, not going to question that. Yeah. I'm not going to follow up. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm just yeah. going to go with what they said. And I think that does happen sometimes. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. All right. Well, that's anyway, my break Kelly spot, and then we'll we're, come back. And we're speculating a lot when we're only halfway through the story, yeah. and yeah. speculating about what's what's so going to come next. You can so. guess there's more to come. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, it's his break. <laughs> yeah. We'll I, be back next week. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll be back in like three minutes. Yep. Hey, little shemmies. Thanks for tuning in. While we were on our break, I just wanted to let you guys know how you can get a hold of us if you wanted to send us an email with your spooky stories i'm still waiting for you to tell me those so i could tell them to you our email is ffsthepodcast at gmail.com we'd also love to hear from you on the various social media sites we're ffsthepodcast on instagram and on twitter and on facebook you can find us at effed up story time we'd love to hear from you thanks for tuning in we love you shammies and uh back to the show (laughs) <laughs> I just can't help feeling sorry for this poor little well, lettuce head. Should we get back into the story? We should, although it's sadder than singing real big fish songs, but yes, we should. Well, we're going to start off the second half with a little precog flash. I don't know what that from means. From an old lady. Pre- little precognition. So oh. a psychic had a vision? Is Sorry, what you're saying? Vision. I'm not as hip on all of the cool paranormal <laughs> terms. <laughs> 
don't know if that's something I I probably just made that up. That wasn't cool, Kelly. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. So, um, Timothy's mother, on her deathbed, Miss Viola Coggins Dorsey, she told her daughter, Talisa, they found who killed Timothy. And Talisa said, what, Mama? Not exactly understanding yeah. what she said, because that's a weird thing to yeah. say. And Viola repeated, they found who killed Tim. I ain't going to be here for it, but they're going to get him. So that's kind of interesting. So that was in 2016. And she and, she and they oh. believed this was like a premonition. Yeah. They think it was a the premonition. Okay. Or so pre-cog, cog, pre-cog, whatever that. Pre-cog means. flash. A pre-cog psychic flash. vision. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> A vision of the future. So, yes, Miss okay. Viola, Tim's mom on her deathbed, she said um, that, that they're going to get the guys that killed Tim. I'm not going to be here for it, but they're going to catch him. And that was 30 And that was right years. before she died. So that was in 2016. So, that's, so 33, yeah, 33 years after, years after. All right. Okay. So um, it took a long time for her to get that vision. It yeah. did. Well... Well, she was she crossing was only, to the other side. Yeah, so she, she was, was closer. And, and so she was between the veil. So another thing that happens in 2016 <laughs> is that this six-month rotation of cold case files, Timothy's case ends up on Officer Jared Coleman's desk. Go, Jared Coleman. Why Joe, do I feel like I like go him? Go, Jared Coleman. Yes, yeah, I please. can feel it. And he is immediately, when he looks at this case, immediately bothered by how little of an investigation was done. And... That is like he That's what everyone should have thought. He saw that there was no so, investigation. I was going to say <laughs> to me though this illustrates the evolution of our police system mm-hmm. to where it went from kind of the good old boys like we don't question other officers to now they're being trained different from the start so they yeah. have a different look on things when they start to get these cold cases. I'm sure that you're right there. I also think though like when we were having our speculative discussion before the break yeah. about like, you know, all these different people that this case was coming across their desk or whatever, I didn't know how long that was going to be. So like, I'm just now processing 33 years, 33 years, which means 66 different people had this case supposedly. go across their desk. If they were in, doing or, this in the eighties, I don't know when the whole process of the six okay. month okay. thing began, but they made it sound like it's been something sure. that they've done for a very long time. I would say at least 20 years, you know, so multiple, like not just like a few people, but like tens oh, of people, hundreds of people. <laughs> Hun- Wait, how question? Hundreds? Okay, maybe not hundreds. Ten- <laughs> tens of people. <laughs> Potentially more than 50 people. <laughs> it could have been hundreds if like multiple people, but but just like every six months for 33 years, there are about or maybe less than millions of people. <laughs> millions of people saw I, this case. I mean, I have another question though, because the logical part of me, like, when they do this, is every single cold case given to a detective every six months, or are they rotating? Because do they have enough detectives for every single cold case to no, be looked at? No, millions of people saw this case. No, I can't, or, I don't or is know. it possible that they maybe only actually get reviewed each case every three years because of the rotation? 
I can't answer that question. I don't know. They made it sound like every case is rotated every six months. Jesus. But what that means is that you're putting a stack yeah. of files on somebody's desk. Yeah, so yeah. could some of those files actually go years without being looked at? Probably. Probably, yeah. If that's the case, but I can't. I don't know if there's anyone don't... who works in the yeah, cold case yeah. like world in Georgia. Tell us how this works. Because <laughs> or, I mean, honestly, minds want to know. we'd prefer Georgia, but anywhere anywhere we yeah. just want to know yeah. more about the process too Absolutely. but specifically georgia right now is our email main interest at ffs the podcast at gmail.com okay so one of the first things that coleman sees in the case is a letter from christopher vaughn that christopher sent in 2007 to the police department saying that he knew had information about mm. the timothy coggins murder right and they just like drop this in the file and leave it for um, nine years. Have yeah, we, they just dropped. It was in the file that he had. He was in jail when he sent this. Ugh. Okay. So they immediately He's dismissed in prison. It. Yeah. So that might be why they immediately dismissed it. He's just trying but, to get a deal or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably what they were thinking. Maybe. The, I, I, I mean, mean, I'm not I, saying I that's have, right. I'm just saying that I have opinions on what they were thinking, and we'll get there. Um, so with. This lack of investigation into the case that immediately struck Coleman as weird and then finding this letter that Christopher Vaughn had written saying that he had information, he took this to the county sheriff and um, his name was Jared Dix. Yes, Jess? I just wanted to ask, is Christopher Vaughn a new character or have we heard? Okay. No, he's a new character. Okay. He just, just the first. These are real people, not characters, but. <laughs> but he is a character in our story, though. Okay, all right. Yeah. I mean, he's still a player in it, but yes. Yeah, no, no, we haven't talked about Christopher Vaughn yet. <laughs> Now, his first introduction into the story was when he wrote that letter in 2007, which everybody ignored until 2016. Okay. So Coleman takes all of this information to the sheriff at the time, Jared Dix, and he looks at it and he definitely sees like the discrepancies. He sees the lack of investigation. He also wants to know why nobody has questioned Christopher Mm -hmm. Vaughn at this point. And he's also kind of a new sheriff and he is really working towards building like a community between the white and black community, like building a relationship. And uh, so he sees this as a good opportunity to help the black community to right a wrong. Obviously, there has been a wrong here. Like he immediately was like, this is wrong. He saw it right away. So he's not like he's not doing it for political gain. But he's seeing like, if I'm going to really show up for the black community, I need to respond. There are people that I have to solve this case. I mean, everything doesn't matter. Sheriff is elected, so everything a sheriff does is going to have a little bit of political undertone to it, I think. Yeah, but I think that what will help me is to just shift the, like, the phrasing of that, like, intentionality. Like, it's not like I'm doing this because I'm doing this for me. It's like, if I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do, like, and say that I'm going to try and bridge these communities, then this is a way that I need to show. Right. Yeah. Like, and, and... Also, just to mention, this is his first introduction into politics. He worked as a law enforcement officer for like 30 years in various roles, but he is not a politician. So we're going to assume good intentions here. And we're going to assume that he was like, this needs to be taken care of. And it if um, it aligns with my values of what I'm trying to do in my Exactly. Well, and I think he had a very strong, like in the documentary, he talks about this. Like he has a very strong sense of like right and wrong. And he immediately saw the wrong in this. Yeah. 
So I okay. So we like dicks. We like dicks. Um, oh my right. god! <laughs> You're welcome. Dicks, comma Jared. <laughs> we like dicks, comma, comma Jared. Jared. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so uh, Dick starts doing his own digging. And the first thing he discovers is all of the evidence from the crime scene is gone, is missing. Everything is gone, which this is now a 33, 34 year old case. And sometimes that shit happens. But there at the crime scene, there was a whiskey bottle that could have had DNA on it. There, uh, There was a table leg that had been wrapped with electrical tape, which most likely was the item that yeah. beat mm-hmm. Timothy. And I'm not sure there was the sweater. There was like DNA taken off of um, Timothy's body, all of that stuff gone. Oh. So there is no physical evidence, no matter who they fucking question, who they find, there's no physical evidence to try to tie anything oh, no. to this. Let me guess. There's some story about water damage or something in the building. No, there is no story. It's oh, just missing. Not. It's just disappeared and nobody knows there's where it went. There's so much evidence that is just gone. And I think some of it is like you have all this evidence in this locker for fucking 30 years and it gets moved here when they're trying to make room for other shit and it gets moved here when they're trying to make room for other shit and then it just gets thrown away. Or even just lost. Like Or just lost. Some yeah. of those evidence warehouses are huge i think some yeah, officers sitting somewhere and i don't think it happened in this case but i think in some cases some officers maybe take the shit home mm-hmm. because maybe they worked the case for so long or maybe they just you know what i mean actually like, that's a good point and then it <coughs> ends up in their garage right. and they're no longer and nobody it, knows and they don't realize where it is it. Yeah. Right. yeah so uh, anyway yeah. the evidence was gone but then Dix discovers a little black notebook and it was from 1982. It was written by a police officer. I have no names to give you. But this police officer infiltrated the Ku Klux Klan as an undercover cop, 1982, just trying to see like how extensive this group goes, right, in the community. He actually went so far as being inducted. What, Jess? Wow. Where did he find the notebook? Do we know? I don't know exactly okay. where. Oh, it wasn't wait. in Coggins' evidence, but it was as he was just okay. doing digging through evidence that's all... from that time. Okay, so like, that's that what era. I wanted to know is if it because was Because all in... of Coggins' evidence was gone. That's what I just want to make sure. Was it part of the Coggins' evidence no. or just he found it in the old I think shit. he was just digging. He was just searching for anything, I think, at that is point. Is it in the wrong box? Misfiled kind of shit. So this officer even goes so far as to be inducted, right? And after he's inducted, one of the members tells him, this is all written down in his journal. He's like, oh, yeah, there's plenty of officers from the local sheriff's department, even some from Griffin Police Department that are Ku Klux Klan members. So right there is some proof. Which we already probably right, knew. Right, right, right. We guessed, but there yeah. were there were KKK members in the Griffin Police Department at, at the, the time, time that Timothy yeah. was murdered, Ugh. most likely for dating a white girl. Hmm. So there's our reasoning why that case just stopped. And the there's our second reason, yeah. that they got close. And there's our reasoning why maybe it didn't get much attention yes. as it passed over yeah. people's desks in like, the following Like, oh, just years. another dead black kid. Ugh. We don't need to care about that. Who knows? Maybe Ugh. officers even brought some of it to the attention of the sheriff at the time. And the sheriff was like, nope, we're not mm-hmm. going to do anything with that. Who knows? We don't know. We can speculate. But I'm guessing that that was part of the reason it 
didn't come well, to light. And who, wow. and it could. It could be at a low level. It could go all the way, you know, it could go up because there are political officials who have authority over sheriff's departments and police departments, and they could have forced them yeah. to bury evidence, too. We have no idea. It could have just been one detective. It could have been the mayor. Who knows? Who right? knows? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? So at this point, Dix is pretty, like, convinced Mad. that this need yeah this needs to <laughs> to be looked into so he starts work the sheriff's department starts working with uh, gbi and georgia they, for listeners georgia bureau of investigation yes, thank you <laughs> yes. thank you <laughs> um and they in in 2017 they go and they interview christopher vaughn Finally. he is in prison yeah. at this time but at the time of the murder he was 10 years old he lived in the trailer park. <gasps> oh, he says that he witnessed Frankie Gebhardt, Bill Moore, Mickey Guy, and Timothy Coggins in the trailer park together. Second on the night said of this. the murder. Yeah. Okay. Same, so basically okay. the same thing that Sandra Bunn had mm-hmm. said. Sandra Bunn had and said. And that makes sense why he didn't say anything then if he was 10. Yeah. But then he also goes on to say that he also witnessed Frankie confess and brag about the murder multiple times throughout his life growing up because he lived in the trailer park. He said the first time was at a party. He overheard him telling somebody else. And then he said just basically he never stopped talking about it after that. Because all of these white people around him, he knew he was safe saying this here. None of them are going to say anything. And they're all going to probably applaud him for it. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. He's going to get the attention he wants. He's getting that attention. He's getting that pat on the back that he wants. Also, in some of these confessions that Christopher heard was Frankie saying that he burned pieces of evidence from the crime and threw them down the well. So he didn't next burn to them house. to ashes? I guess not. I don't know. He or burned... did he do two separate things? He burned some and threw some other down the well. I don't know. That he okay. burned key pieces of evidence and threw them down. A... Okay. I'm sorry <laughs> that my brain gets stuck on those things. I can't help it sometimes. All right. And then Christopher Vaughn also, I left this out earlier, but he also said that um, he thought that he knew so at this point in time most people were thinking it's a drug deal that's the reason nobody's really making this connection to the white girl or they're not paying much attention to it and i think part of that is because they're trying to take the attention off right, of these white guys that's right? the narrative yeah. that they wanted out there exactly yeah. but christopher says like i knew i know what the motive is it's because mickey was frankie's girlfriend and mickey was sleeping with timothy so I I would really have loved to have talked to fucking Mickey because I never even thought about the whole Mickey was a plant to draw him out. I wonder if Mickey was really dating Timothy and wasn't really Frankie's girlfriend, but Frankie's this because like one of Frankie's ex-girlfriends in the documentary, Shirley Sis. No, that's not the one. I don't remember her name. Um, One of Frankie's ex-girlfriends is interviewed to say that he was really overbearing. Like she couldn't wear makeup. She couldn't look at other guys when they went out. She couldn't look at other people. Like he was very controlling and stuff. So I don't know how a girlfriend of his would be allowed or able to go sleep with a black guy. Do you know what I mean? I wonder if they break up. Was it really Mickey? Was Mickey really Frankie's girlfriend? That doesn't really matter though, but it's just. If he's as overbearing and controlling as 
his ex says he could have decided he wants to kill a black man and forced Mickey to take up a relationship so that they could do it. I mean, that's a lot. Oh, of plan- yeah, that's a lot be. of planning. But that's I mean, another possibility. Yeah. I mean, he was. I don't know how smart he was. Yeah. Or maybe they broke up and he was holding on to it. Maybe and he was, they were done or but maybe. But how? See, here's the thing. If they broke up or they were on bad terms, how did Mickey end up with Frankie that night that Tim Died. Well, it does just seem really weird nobody, that you'd be chilling with the guy you're sleeping with and your boyfriend in the same night. I've been thinking together. that since the beginning. Yes, it is. It is really weird. But it's also weird to me that right before Timothy was killed, he is getting into a car with these guys. Like both witnesses have said they saw him with these guys and Mickey didn't say they were fighting. Nobody right. said they were arguing. Yeah. Nobody said they were fighting. Nobody said he was forced into the truck no, or it anything. it all seemed like amicable. And when he left the club with these guys, he left willingly. Like, mm-hmm. they just walked outside. There was no sign of a scuffle or anything. Like, he had to have willingly gotten gotten into a vehicle to be gone by the time well, that his sister got out there and he wasn't there anymore, you know? Well, and I wonder if they went back to the trailer... That's what something I'm thinking. happened there, maybe to piss somebody off or something. Well, I think that it was Gebhardt. It was like Frankie and Bill's intention was to fucking kill him because he, I, but I don't. That goes with my theory that but they he set was him like up with Mickey around, or maybe Mickey got caught with him and he and she was trying to calm the maybe. situation down. I don't know. And may, maybe they were pretending like it was all chill. Like maybe like I'm I'm fixating on like the maybe they right. used to be boyfriend and girlfriend and and then all this happened and. Frank or Frankie or whatever was like pretending like he was chill with it. Like, oh, whatever. Let's meet your new guy. Yeah. And just as a way to like set it up to kill him. Yeah. I mean, I think that it was a setup of some sort, but who knows? Yeah, I don't know. It would be nice to talk to Mickey. Yeah, that's the moral of the story. There's so much here that we don't know. And she might have information that would fill in a lot of these gaps. She probably was terrified of Frankie if he's as bad as described. Yeah, she wasn't going to cross Frankie, I wouldn't think. Like, I don't know. It's weird. Mm -hmm. The whole thing is weird. But there is no confirmation that the white girl that Timothy was dancing with at the club was Mickey. But that's the assumption. Mm -hmm. Because what other white girl would he be dancing with if he's seen with a white girl elsewhere? You know, and that's the rumor. He was dating a chick named Mickey. So it had to have been her. Anyway, after interviewing Christopher, the police interview Bill. Bill states for the first time, Bill states that he's never heard of Timothy Coggins. He's never heard of this murder. He has no clue what he's talking about. Um, He's never bragged about it. Nothing. The investigators do say that he was obviously lying in their opinion, that he was obviously lying, but he's like claiming no knowledge of the incident ever even occurring. And so then they go to the Spalding County prison and they investigate Frankie, who is already incarcerated on sexual assault charges or some (gasps) sexual gross something charge so he's already doing time they go investigate frankie frankie says the same thing i don't even know what you're talking about i've never even heard of this case it's really fucking funny because frankie was interviewed Uh yeah that's in 1983 when it originally happened he was the only one out of those three that was interviewed but he's like i don't know who you're talking about i've never heard of this case i've never heard of this murder i have nothing to do with it and again the investigators knew he was lying because obviously he did know at least Mm -hmm. about timothy coggins who he was and so they decide they're going to do a wiretap they want to tap frankie 
So they find the person that he talks to the most is a woman named Sandra Bunn, who is his sister. Wait, so his sister is the one who said she saw him with Tim Coggins the night Wait, he... so she kind of ratted him out kinda, a little bit. Yeah, she kind of did. But he is he talks to her most often. Yeah. So they put a tap on Sandra's Crazy. phone and they record Frankie telling Sandra about how, yeah, I didn't tell him anything. I did, Or he said, I told him I didn't know anything about the case. And so then she goes to tell him, you need to be careful. Don't drink anything they give you. Don't touch anything. Don't leave your DNA. Don't give them any DNA evidence. That's all she says, right? But it's really weird that she does this now when in 1983, it almost seems like she threw him under the bus. Yeah. <laughs> kind of weird, but who knows why. I mean, siblings, sometimes I want to tell sometimes you. Sometimes I'd be like, Jesse did it. Yeah. Well, and it Sometimes <laughs> I want you to get arrested. Sometimes we're best friends. Well, it's... and it could have been something as simple as she didn't think about it. Like this officer shows up and says, hey, do you know anything about this? And she's like, oh, yeah, I I saw them with these people. And then after she says that, she's like, oh, shit. Yeah, maybe she didn't know that he killed him at that point in time. She's just saying, hey, yeah. It could also be that she was so confident that there's no way that they would ever convict a white guy of a black guy's Which, murder. Which, to that be it doesn't fair, fucking matter what it's she said. 34 years later, and here we are. She was no. right. She was right in the moment. So um, with that... They felt like they had enough information with all of this to reopen the case. So they officially reopened the case and they did something that was a little unorthodox, but they knew right now all they had was one witness testimony of a felon who is currently in prison, right? Okay. But they knew, they knew that there was more to this. So they publicly announced that they were reopening the investigation into Timothy Coggins' murder. And they said that they had witness testimony basically enough to convict the murderer. They kind of lied. They absolutely lied. Which yeah, because there's do. not enough right but now. But their hope was that if people thought that it wasn't going to be their testimony yeah. that was like the one that caused the white man right. to get convicted of a black guy's murder, essentially, that maybe more people would step up. Or if there's a fear that there's going to be some well, sort of retribution or like if they yeah. felt more confident that they already had shit on this guy, maybe they'd be willing to. It also, you could also... <laughs> <laughs> go, Jess, go. It also gets people talking, including the potential murderer yeah. gets people yeah. talking and also you start to have that element of like oh well if they if so and so talked then they're gonna say that i was there too and i heard that and if i don't come forward right. and say that i know then i could get roped up in this right i gotta you save get that myself fear for yourself yeah, totally like, oh all this came out and now i have to do something to save myself and i've been lying for 33 years i better come clean now kind of stuff yeah so they had quite a few witnesses that came forward. And Weird. they well done. And they decided that with the witnesses that they had, they still didn't have any physical evidence. Yeah. It was still very circumstantial. The majority of their witnesses were inmates, fellow inmates yeah. that he had bragged to while he right. was in prison. 
So they decided that they needed some physical evidence. They needed something more. And there was more than one witness that that had said he mentioned putting shit in the well. Mm. So they decided they needed to excavate the well. So one obstacle they they had to overcome immediately was the fact the well was like right next to the house. So they couldn't dig. There was no way they could dig without destroying the house. Burn the house down! So they had to resort to a method. It's really actually kind of cool. They flushed the well. So they took like this high-powered hydraulic machinery and just like flushed water into the well, which would loosen up all of the shit that's in there. And then they sucked it all out, right? Fascinating. And they ended up sucking out this huge fucking pile of trash. And in this trash, they found a knife that was broken into several pieces they found an Adidas size 10 tennis shoe that nobody knows. So, so Timothy was basically naked. He had his pants and his underwear on him, but he had no shirt, no socks, no shoes, nothing else on. So they don't know for sure. They can't match it to him. They can't do DNA. The flushing just ruined all of it. And the, and that time that it was sent there or spent in the well, but he was said to have owned a pair of Adidas tennis shoes. And was that a shoe size? Um, I, I, I'm assu- I don't okay. know. I don't okay. know. I didn't hear yes or no on that. They found an Argyle sock, which also matched clothing that he owned from testimony, you know, from memory, mm-hmm. people's memory. They found a large chain, which, I mean, he there's the suspicion that he was drug but they found a chain who knows it could have been a pulley who knows i mean this is what the defense will tell you these are all just things you could find in a well but they also found a t-shirt and when they unfolded the t-shirt they saw seven (gasps) holes in the t-shirt that resembled stab wounds and again you can't match any any dna to this and the um the shoe and the shirt were partially burned also. So all of this matches almost fucking to it, the T these witness testimonies. Yeah, right. It corroborates the, the witness. So with that, they knew they had a case. They decided to prosecute. They arrested both Bill Moore and Frankie Gebhardt. On murder, felony murder, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, and concealing murder. They also arrested Sandra Bunn and her Mm -hmm. son Lamar on obstruction Mm -hmm. because of uh, her telling him to not give the DNA and stuff. And then randomly, they also arrested a man named Gregory Huffman, who worked in the prison, and he was arrested on obstruction and violation of oath and office because um, he was a detention officer, and he alerted Frankie about part of the investigation. Oh. Dick. Yeah. So they were all arrested. And we don't like that dick. We're going That's to right. court. <laughs> we're going to court. All right. Does it go to trial? What happens? I'm excited. So they decide that they're going to charge Frankie first. Okay. Or going to, um, yeah, have his trial first. They're going to have Bill's trial after his. Okay. During the trial, they give all of the information. The defense obviously argues that um, the majority, I think they had they had seven witnesses that testified. And only two of those were not felons that were fellow inmates. Okay. And okay. so they argued that would like to point out that nobody was offered a deal or guaranteed anything. There was Christopher Vaughn had just asked that he could serve his terms because he was on like 
like two or three 20 year terms and they were all to be served concurrently. So he wasn't going to be eligible for parole until he was most likely dead. And he just asked that his terms could be conserved could be served consecutive Concur- or concurrently. Concur- yeah, I'm that's why I made wrong. that face. Yeah. Okay, I'm like, wait, they am were I mixed- consecutive. He it, wanted them concurrent. I don't even know if he got the deal because uh. even when he testified, they asked him that question, you know, and he's like, I asked for this. I have not been promised anything. I have not been told I get anything for this. So I don't know if he even got. So he's like, I'm still testifying. Yeah, I'm without still testifying promises. without these promises. Mm. So, and I don't think anybody was promised anything. I don't know if anybody even got a deal, honestly. And the the other thing about Christopher, I think, is like, yes, now he's an inmate, but his testimony actually comes from when he was a child living in that same trailer park. Yeah, like, what is some 16-year-old kid who's at a party he shouldn't be at and hears this shit? Like, what is he going to do Like at that point in time in his life? Yeah. And then years later, he reached out. So, well, and he reached out while he was in prison, probably hoping to get a deal. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, I'm sure he had some personal... But it doesn't mean... But it doesn't point to him making it up so he can get a deal. Well, and if I'm going to go through a lot of fucking hassle and bullshit for some fucking no kid that I don't know, even if it's right or wrong, what are you going to do for me? Yeah, You know, I don't think there's anything wrong no. with that, but it does discount the validity of... Yeah, but it, it may, does. But it but, does make me feel better about Christopher's character so to speak that he testified anyway without and promises. no one else got anything so yeah. that brings up the the reliability of your witnesses exactly so some of the witnesses there was a willard sanders um he was one of the hunters he says that uh frankie confessed um to him about the murder in 1983 and that he reported it to the police <gasps> In 1983. Because he was one of the hunters that found the bodies? Yeah. And he was kind of like, I don't know why I'm just now talking to you guys. You should have talked to me a million years ago. Oh, my God. Interesting, huh? And then there was uh, Shirley Sis, who was an acquaintance of Brenda, who was Bill Moore's wife, who who had died by the time all of this had conspired. Um, But Brenda told... Her friend Shirley, the bill was planning to murder a black boy and drag him with his car or his truck. Just whatever. telling her girlfriend Just over a, some wine and some wine well, coolers like in the backyard. Warned, like she the warned her. I think it was like she warned her. Watch out. Bill's planning to do this. I don't so know. So like this was his wife. Mm-hmm. telling this to a friend because she was scared of what her husband was going to do. That might be. Is that what it feels be. like. Yeah. Okay. I like, just Bill's assuming. telling me he's going to do this and I'm worried maybe. maybe. I don't know. Okay. Let's not speak ill of the dead Brenda. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then there was also Patrick Douglas who is a self-proclaimed member of the Aryan Nation. He oh came. He came out and testified that Frankie was a member of the KKK and that he'd even bragged to him about it. And one of the questions that he was asked is like, why as an Aryan nation member, are you ratting out? Like he was, oh, a, yeah. he was a yeah. prisoner, also a felon. So there is question like, yeah, what are you totally. getting for this? But he said, he's not getting anything. I don't think he got anything. And I mean, he may also only be keeping up his, I mean, he's in prison now. Pe- prison changes people. He may have to keep that up for prison safety, but maybe he's thinking differently now that he's been in prison. Who knows? Maybe that's why he's testifying. It could be. He might be a changed man. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, sure. But but in the end, it, it didn't matter that they were felons because the juries mm-hmm. unanimously, unani- yeah, the juries convicted Frankie Gebhardt of murder on guilty on all woo, accounts. Woo! 
Woo! And he was sentenced to life, and he was sentenced to a lot. I mean, he will definitely die in prison, but... The judge ended it with, hopefully, sir, you have stabbed your last victim. (sighs) Yeah, but he got 30 plus years of freedom. And that's part of what the family was so upset about. So I do want to say one interesting thing that happened during Frankie's trial was that Bill Moore's daughter was a very big advocate for them, especially for her father, because she she was a baby when all of this happened. And she legitimately, I think she legitimately thought her dad was innocent. But when she she was a witness that was going to testify during Frankie's trial and at the beginning for the defense for the defense, I'm assuming. But at the beginning of the trial, the judge asked how many witnesses are are here and they raised their hand. He said, I am going to have to ask you to leave. You are not allowed to watch the trial. You are not not allowed to talk about the trial to anybody, not allowed to talk to anybody that's involved in the trial, basically sequestering them. Right. Mm -hmm. So the trial's going on at the very beginning. Somebody rats her out. She was watching the trial live stream. So they brought her back into the court, and he found her in contempt and sentenced her to 20 days in jail. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And I I was kind of like at the moment, I was kind of like, yeah, because she'd been such an advocate for these obvious asshole guys, in my opinion, right? You know? But... I don't know if she, I assume she testified that I didn't see her testimony or anything, but, um, then after Frankie's trial was Bill's trial and he ended up taking a plea and he pled guilty to voluntary manslaughter and he pled guilty to concealing a murder and he was sentenced to 20 years. I often believe that somebody taking a guilty plea means that they're guilty because most innocent people, even if they know they're probably going to be found guilty and sentenced, they're not going to take a guilty plea. Yeah, don't. They still would fight. Or they'll finagle for an... It depends. It depends on if you are like, I don't know, trying to figure out anything to get your ass out of prison or like if you're that mentality that's willing to do dark shit and you don't give a shit. Like, I don't know if you're you're if you're. If you did do some wrong things, but maybe you didn't do this wrong thing, I think that that could definitely happen that people would take well, it. And some, I don't think that's the case here. And sometimes it depends on the advice of their attorney, too. Yeah. There are attorneys who will say, there's no way you're going to win, whether you're innocent or well, not. And, his and attorney, so I think you should take this rather than gambling. And you his know, attorney kind of did say that. His attorney was like, Frankie was convicted with basically circumstantial evidence if they can make this jury feel bad for the victim, there's a strong chance you're you're going to be convicted on the same. And I honestly, in my opinion, question, like I question the involvement that Bill had. I think that I'm like, he was obviously involved. He obviously helped, but it seems like, although it was Bill's wife that said Bill was going to go and drag a black man behind his truck. So maybe not, but I, I feel like it was obviously a Frankie issue and Frankie's there were personal the, Frankie things there. And Frankie was the one who then walked around swinging his dick, telling everybody how he fucking right. killed a black well, kid. It certainly seems like it's a good move for bot. What are these people's names? Bill, Bill to, to say that, it's like to get the manslaughter charge. Maybe he was way more involved, but then you're like, all right, are you going to go to jail for prison or, you know, yeah. or I mean, go, to jail for- <laughs> go to prison for murder? Or do you want to take this much lesser? Yeah. Maybe you murdered him. Maybe you should be going for but, murder. But if you can get this well, lesser. And, you know, we only heard the one ex-girlfriend talking about Frankie's temper. Who knows how manipulative and coercive he was. He could have made Bill feel like he had to. Like, you know, yeah. there's a lot. We of- don't know what 
what Bill's constitution is. He could be a pushover. Like, Obviously, he's an asshole, well, yeah. racist, horrible human being regardless. So, yeah. yeah. So that's my story. And they finally right. found justice. 30 fe- 34 years Fuck. later, they finally found justice. And hopefully... Took way too long. Way hopefully too long. this is a sign that things are changing in for the better in yeah. our whole system totally. and in our racism. And they do say that it's still a racist town. It's not as openly uh, racist. Yeah. It's definitely more integrated than it used to be. But there's still it's, that underlying yeah. theme of... It's the secret racist. I'm just not allowed to say it because people don't like it. Yeah, but I yeah, still believe yeah. this. I, you know, who I worry about most in all of that is Bob or Billy. What's his name? Bill. Bill. His daughter. Like, how? Where's she at all now? Right. Well, you know, right? like, I don't know where she's at now. But I don't. I'm gonna. I mean, ch- not who I worry about most. Let me clarify. No, but in that whole thing. Her. But like, in terms of the she, existing people left over. Where is she landing on this? She's a victim, too, in a weird way. Yeah, she is, because she was a baby when it happened. And she was told her whole life that he was innocent. And of course she believes her dad. And in her life, he was a good dad. He's a good grandpa. He's a good person. Of course, because racists are often good people to Mm -hmm. people of their own race. And horrible people to people of other races. That's how racism works. So I'm gonna Have you guys cheat. Watch Jury Duty. Sorry. Yeah, no, I did. No. It's good. Oh, you have no. to watch it. There's a racist thing in it, but it's all. F- yeah, never mind. Okay. Well, I'm gonna cheat. It's a funny thing with my thing that doesn't suck. Okay. Things, Things that, don't that don't suck. suck. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> Things that don't suck. All right. So my thing that doesn't suck is also a part of this case. Okay. Oh, okay. So this made me cry so hard when I watched it, and I thought it was so beautiful. So after the sen- the the plea the plea trial and the sentencing of Bill Moore, his daughter was outside just crying by herself, and the whole and so Timothy Coggins' family is this huge family. It's sisters. It's mm-hmm. it's you know cousins. It's aunts and uncles. It's like everybody together, and they've been this huge family throughout all of this, right? And they went up to her, and they surrounded her, and they hugged her, and they wiped her tears away. And they said, we have no animosity towards you. This isn't your fault. You're a victim, too. We know you lost your dad today, and we understand that you don't see him the way we see him. And they all just fucking hugged her as she cried and one of the ladies afterwards while being interviewed said that she just never seemed like she had a lot of family or support group around her she was always alone and it was just so beautiful to me i have no idea where they are now i have no idea if they talk or but i just thought that that was beautiful Mm -hmm. that they just all all every single one of them took their turns hugging her and talking to her and that's my happy thought is that we can fucking love each other we can help each other through shit we can be good people and like lift each other up you know weren't we supposed to say one thing doesn't suck not things that don't suck sorry (laughs) what you're fixating on right now (laughs) well i was gonna say that i don't i think that's great and i love it it's wonderful i just already processed it it wrong we can say wrong then if you don't care then let me be in a moment to let you know that i do care okay well, I think that what strikes me in that is that it it would have been okay if 
they hadn't done that. Like I think oh, that yeah. there's, right. a, there's a this doesn't mean that people who have been so unbelievably harmed by systems and by other humans need to go and 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 care for other people. But that makes this more like even above and beyond yes. in terms of their willingness to spread love and not spread hate and focus on, you know, victim supporting victims right. rather than yeah. well, you know, and this idea of like what is justice and because they didn't have to do that. Well, and, and the next black person who's a victim doesn't have, have to, to go know. and comfort a white person. That's why it's my thing that doesn't suck is yeah. because they did do that because yeah. they didn't have, have to, to do no. that, but they were awesome well, and I'm, they did. Do yeah. That. And, I, and, and that, more than that love and beauty makes me happy. Like, that was the exact phrasing I was thinking in my head, above and beyond. It wasn't required, but it was a gesture of kindness and humanity that they extended yeah. to someone I think else. it's beautiful. And I just think that, you know, because so often people judge, well, black people, people judge black people as victims for how they choose to respond mm -hmm. to their, I don't know, abuser, murderer, you know, like people judge victims when they are victims of color for how they choose to respond. And so I just think yeah. that it's important to say that doesn't mean you have to respond in this way, but it's also a really beautiful moment of shared recognition of who the victims are in this that are widespread and spreading love and, and encouraging love in each other and how beautiful that is. That's what I was yeah. trying to say. I just want to say, I think that there's no wrong way to respond either. So yeah. Anybody who's judging people for how they respond to their aggressor is just ignorant. Well, I would say go watch just the last part of this. It's the um, In the Cold Dark Night is what it's called. What it, I got from it was that it gave peace to Timothy Coggins' family. Yes. 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 As much as it gave peace to bill moore's daughter right? yeah you no know, that's you so know what i mean like to, it gave yeah. peace to both of them to be like we don't have to hate because this happened like it kind yeah. of erases that whole like sin of the father thing right. too. Yeah. like you know people that are like at, at the beginning she was defending her dad and they said that like we recognize you were just defending your dad you love your dad like mm -hmm. you're not a bad person you didn't do this That's we don't hold that to be against able to you have that perspective and, and that she was saying i'm sorry you know and they're like but you didn't do this and we understand and like they were able to kind of come to that like yeah. meaning that meaning there. And it was just really powerful to see the healing mm -hmm. for both of them that they got mm -hmm. from that. And that's my happy thought because my happy story, because <clears throat> I'm guilty of living in my emotions. And if we can all just step back sometimes yeah. and come to that meeting, sometimes you get so much peace and healing and growth from that. And just, mm -hmm. I don't know. It's cool. No, we can I all learn that's from really that. cool. That's really beautiful. I have so much respect and I agree that it's stepping back from that that deep deep place of making choices off your emotion alone and really having empathy and yeah. love for each other. Yeah. So, anyway, that was really a nice ending to a story that was very messed up but also justice was justice found eventually. Was and you served. told it well. So it was a good story. You told yeah, it, well. it was really interesting. Thank Every you. time I look at that bird battery, I see 
bird than battery, then bird than battery, bird, then battery, bird than battery. Bird, battery. Battery. bird battery. We're looking at pictures again for those. Bird battery. I know, I'm just saying I glanced at it. I'm like, bird um, battery. I'm sorry that I got a little pissy at the end there, but this is sisters cast after all. And <laughs> sisters do sistery things. Um, I did say a little prayer this morning about thank you for giving me this so I don't trip over them again. <laughs> That's why I did it. But I did say a little prayer about us all getting along. Getting through this because <laughs> you were so afraid along. about sisters being the only sisters on the podcast. Good luck with anyway, that. Anyway, I'm sorry that I was pissy, Jess. Whatevs. I was just, it was one of those I moments that's really Kelly. funny. That, oh, gee, thing. <laughs> it was one of those moments that was really funny that I was like in it with Salem and I was like emotionally there. And then you were, and I was like there to hear like, what is Jess going to say? I'll let Jess go first. And then you were like, isn't it supposed to be things? <laughs> <laughs> and my heart was just so mad at you in that moment. I was just like, are you shitting me right now? My brain is broken. I had to figure that out before, before I could feel feelings.